each one of you. Welcome those who have joined us online. My name is Mike Daniels, and I have the privilege of opening the Bible with you this morning. It has been a joy over the last couple of weeks to simply just open the Bible and to learn myself, but also to be with you, dear people, this morning. Dr. Merritt will be back next week, so you can set your calendars for that, and I am setting it as well, so I will be able to just kind of uh, relax a little bit more this next week, but uh, we look forward to having him uh, come back after a couple of weeks of vacation. This morning, perhaps you have heard of Joaquin Guzman. He is a Mexican drug lord, one of the most violent and notorious criminals in all of the world. You may have heard of him by his Spanish nickname, El Chapo, which means shorty. He is known for one of the greatest prison breaks of all time. In fact, in 2015, he was captured. In fact, this was his second capture by the Mexican government. He had been captured for the second time, and he had escaped the first time, and he was now in a holding cell. He was in their maximum security prison in Mexico, and he was living out this sentence, and he escaped a second time. You see, he had a band of brothers that dug a mile-long tunnel from far away from the prison, under the prison, and right into the very corner of his shower stall in his cell, the one very place that was not being monitored by security cameras. You see, there were people that were put in place to watch him 24 hours a day, and the only spot that that camera didn't show was in that one small little corner of his shower stall, the very place that a mile-long tunnel came in and came up through the bottom of the prison and opened a space large enough for him to go through to escape. A shocking turn of events considering that he had already escaped once and he was now being monitored for any sign of an attempt to do it again. And yet he did it a second time. He escaped a second time, something that honestly few escapees for the first time ever get a chance to do again. In fact, it's not happened many times in history. Since he has been recaptured, and he was recaptured just a couple, uh, a year or so ago, he has been tried and convicted and is now housed in the United States in the Supermax prison in Colorado, the, the safest prison, the one who has all the security and all the bells and whistles, all the technology. It's called the Alcatraz of the Rockies. He is housed, El Chapo is housed with the most dangerous criminals in all of the world. This prison, this prison that he finds himself in is completely secured, is completely monitored, completely isolated from the rest of the world. He finds himself inside the innermost portion of that prison and his every move is monitored. Shackles and restraints are his new normal. You see, El Chapo has been criminalized, condemned, confined, and incarcerated. And this story reminds me of another incarcerated man. The subject of the lesson today, the Apostle Paul. You see, El Chapo was guilty of horrific crimes. He was guilty. Whereas Paul was not, he was 
he was only guilty of pursuing Jesus and pointing others toward him. So let me be clear, El Chapo was guilty, Paul was not. He was falsely charged and falsely imprisoned, but he was in a secure prison nevertheless. And he is the subject of what we have been doing the last couple of weeks. It's just a little short series called Defining Moments in the life of this writer of these books that the pastor has been teaching over the last several months and will continue in the year of 2019. We have kind of deemed it the, the year of discipleship. The year where we will take people through four of the books that Paul himself wrote, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. And we are going to look at what were the key moments in his life the first week we looked at his conversion experience on the Damascus Road. And today we'll look at Acts chapter 16. So if you have your Bibles, you can just turn to Acts chapter 16, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts in the New Testament. Pastor has been preaching through these four books, and we've learned a little bit over the last couple of weeks of who this writer is. Who is Paul? What were the very things that made him the chief missionary of the New Testament? What were some of his, his things that made him tick? Why is he considered one of the greatest characters in the Bible, but also in all of human history? What, what made him go from persecutor to disciple maker? What drove him? What were the things that we can learn today that perhaps will be able to change our future today? One of the things we saw in week one was when he met Jesus, everything changed. His life was transformed. He became a missionary, a theologian. He became an evangelist. He became a, a pastor, a fighter of truth. He became a lover of souls, a church planter, a prolific writer. He was articulate and he was wise and he was passionate and he was purposeful. Everything we saw last week was he lived on purpose. In fact, he had the greatest Christian influence outside of Jesus himself in all of history. And today we find Paul and his co-laborer, we find Silas with him, and they've been traveling and speaking is what they did. They went from place to place, telling people about Jesus and making disciples, encouraging new believers and strengthening the churches and the believers in those churches. And it was a breath of fresh air for some, and it, was, it was, seems like threats to other people. And in our passage, Acts chapter 16, this gives an account of a Philippian jailer you may know the story. This Philippian jailer who positionally, he stood at the top of the heap. He was in charge of a prison full of convicted prisoners. But he is supernaturally confronted with the fact that he is not in charge of this situation at all. A riveting story that gives us a glimpse of a life-defining moment in this journey of Paul, and it will help shape his future moments as he pens these books that we have been studying. I want you to recognize this morning that your present does not define your future. Your present does not define your future. Where you are this morning, what is going on in your life right now does not define what will take place if you let Jesus have your life. This is where our story begins. Paul and Silas have been ministering and they have seen many converts. In fact, Acts chapter, chapter 16, you see three different conversion experience, not just moments, but transformational moments. 
One such is a young slave girl who was possessed by an evil spirit. And this young slave girl had this unique ability to tell the future. She was a fortune teller. She was owned by these people that used her for gain. In fact, they had opportunities where she was uh, quite the attraction in the town. And people would come and pay money to her owners for her to fortune tell. And what took place is Paul and Silas are walking by. They recognize what's going on and they, they cast this demon out of her through the power of the Spirit of God. And we see that the owners are, are realize what has just happened, their, their hope for gain, their loss of revenue. They realize this girl is no longer of use to them anymore. They become angry and upset in every way. Acts chapter 16 verse 19 says this, but when her owners saw that their hope for gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the very rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are, look at the accusation, they are disturbing our city. These owners were furious. They were angry. Mob rule was in effect. The crowd attacked these two and they beat them. The Bible says it beats them with rods. Verse 23 and 24 continues, and when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. And having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. If you have your Bibles, would you just, let's continue reading the story this morning in Acts chapter 15. Verse 25, it says this, about midnight, it's been a long day. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. And I want to read this last verse and then we'll stop and we'll continue. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, this morning, I thank you for your word, and I pray that this morning that I, your servant, as I have studied what I will just get out of the way, and the Spirit of God will just simply touch those who are in this room today. Father, that you would speak in a powerful way, and that we would see you change us moment by moment as we read your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The overarching statement that I want you to get this morning, I've already said it, is your present does not define your future. Paul and Silas find themselves in a prison. They find themselves in the innermost portion of that prison, all right? And they see this idea that they are being watched. There is a jailer that knows about them, knows their reputation, knows what is taking place. They are being watched. And then the Bible says that it is at midnight, the time of day when it is most associated with evil and darkness and despair and hopelessness. It is dark. And I want you to learn about this life-defining moment. The first thing is your position. Your position allows God to show who is in control. 
Some of you are in a position, you walked in this morning and you realize your position seems hopeless. It seems like your midnight is upon you. These God-fearing men, positionally speaking, are at the lowest point possible. They are in jail. They're convicted of crimes against citizens, not just against the government. They are disturbing our city. That's what they said. They were disturbing our city. They're messing everything up. They're public enemy number one. They are beaten, bloodied, and bruised. They have been beaten with rods. They are cast into the innermost part of that prison, the deepest, darkest, dampest, rodent-infested, smelliest, worst part of the prison. Why? Because they have messed everything up. Their feet were fastened in the stocks. Their, their feet were put in probably leather straps and, and held, and then the, those straps were then chained to the wall behind them, and they were probably put in a place where their legs were spread apart. While they had been beaten, their backs were bloodied. They were put in a place of torture. This was a place of torture where they couldn't sit up straight. They couldn't lay down. They had to stand on their feet after a long day, and when we look at this, they were chained to the wall. It's been a long day. In this position, they were weak and they were powerless. It's a terrible spot to be in. They had nothing and could hope for nothing. And 25 says this again, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Verse 26, and suddenly... Suddenly God shows up and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Your present does not define your future. Why can I say that? Because God is in control. God is always in control, even when it is midnight on your darkest days. When all hope seems to be lost. When you are facing medical challenges, and this morning, I want you to know, church, this morning and the days leading up to this, as I read this moment, there are men and women in our church that are facing medical challenges. That these are dark days. These are midnight hours. Perhaps there's some of you that are facing relational conflicts, struggling with debt, aging parents. We have a staff member even now that is traveling up out of the town in order to deal with some, some issues with family. Perhaps there's challenging children at home. I want you to know, Crosspoint, and those who are listening online, never, ever give up because God is in control. He is in control of the wind and the waves and the storms. He harnesses the lightning and the tornadoes and earthquakes and hurricanes. You see, in this moment, God allows an earthquake to take place. Why? Because your position right now in the midnight hour, your position allows God to show who is in control. The second thing I want you to see this morning is your posture shows who you think is in control. Your posture, your attitude allows us to simply point out who we think is in control. Verse 25, about midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. There is this upbeat feel to this whole story. There is no desperation. They believed that God was in control even in their current state. Their position seemed hopeless, but their posture was not. 
Paul would later write in some of his later books, in fact, in Philippians, he is writing from a prison cell, another prison experience. He is writing from a prison cell to the Philippian church, this very place where he is. And he said, for to me to live is Christ. For me to live in this moment, he writes in Philippians chapter one, he says, for me to live today is Christ, to be in a relationship with Christ, but for me, it's to die is to gain. Because then I will not only live in the presence of Christ, I will be in the very personhood of Christ. I will be right there with him. He also said in Philippians 4, 4, he said, rejoice in the Lord always. As he looks back at this experience, this life-defining moment, he says, hey, listen, wherever I find myself, I still can rejoice because God is always in control. They knew that their position was bad. There was no escape plan. There was no militia with unlimited resources that was right this very moment planning a daring escape through a mile-long tunnel. Freedom was nowhere in sight. But look what they did. They were singing and praying. And not only were they singing and praying quietly to themselves, they were drawing a crowd. The Bible in 25 says the prisoners were listening not only were the prisoners were listening, probably the jailer was listening as well. Their posture reflected their mo deep most desire and understanding of who God was, and their God was in control. Verse 26 and 27, we keep going, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Not only had the doors open, but the chains holding their legs were unfastened. This was no ordinary earthquake. And the jailer wakes up to find his prison shaking. There is an earthquake taking place. He draws him sword, his, his sword to kill himself because there was a Roman law, a Roman custom, that if any jailer ever allowed a prisoner to escape, he would bear the punishment of that criminal that escaped. So obviously there must have been somebody there that was convicted of capital punishment or he thought that was the honorable thing to do. In this moment, the door is opened. It was an opportunity for Paul and Silas to escape or it was a moment for them to witness to those in their influence and to trust God for their freedom. You see, before this moment, Paul and Silas were in bondage, but yet they were free. They knew, they sang, and they prayed. They knew who was in control. And at that very moment, right before the earthquake, the jailer was, theoretically, he was free outside of the walls of those bars. He was outside of the walls of the prison. And he slept comfortably, but he was not free. He was bound by sin. And it was at this moment that the power of God sent an earthquake and everything changed. The whole situation was turned upside down. Paul and Silas were then set free and the jailer who was sleeping was in the bondage of now a death sentence. His worst case scenario came true. He heard all the doors open. He heard the chains fall to the ground, probably on that rock floor. He knew that something was taking place that he was no longer in control and he could only do one thing and that was to fall on his sword. Does your posture this morning, 
You walked in this morning. Does your posture this morning exude confidence in yourself, your abilities, or in your God? Does your speech bring glory to God or to yourself? Does your host hope rest in your 401k or in the riches of your God? Is your social status, does your social status rest in the number of friends you have on social media or the number of likes on any given post? You see, when we placed our trust in God first, then we put ourselves to a very distant second or third or fourth. This past week, as I was teaching, as I do on Mondays for young singles, young adults, young college students, I, I issued a challenge to them and I said this, hey, listen, I want you to, I want you to put your phone to the side and, and if you use your phone to wake up, then I'm going to ask that you would turn your alarm off and then I want you to meet with Jesus before you ever engage with the world or your phone. And I had one that said, hey, listen, but, but notifications are gonna be a problem. I said, what do you mean notifications? Well, you know, every morning I wake up and there's notifications. If somebody has said something to me in a social media feed or there's somebody that's done something that I need to attend to. I said, all right, let's just try this for one week. Let's just try to take your phone. If you use it to wake up, just silence it and go about your day. Get up and go spend time with Jesus before you see another human face, before you interact with one other person. Let's just engage God first. And I told him I'm going to be preaching on Acts chapter 16. Just take 16 and read it and then go about your day. Spend time with Jesus first. And I got this note back from a 20-year-old girl the second day. She'd given me a note and said, hey, listen, I did it. I, I, I did good this morning. I got up and she said this on day two. Today was a little harder. I woke up and I quote her. I asked her for permission. I woke up an hour late from my alarm, but I still managed to read Acts 17 before getting ready for school. This is summer school. I told my parents about this challenge for the week and they're keeping, help, and they're keeping me accountable as well. And my dad has been asking me questions to think about. Now, if you take this moment of a 20-year-old girl and just apply it to this congregation, the people in the hearing of my voice, and you'd say, what if we just simply said, we're going to, we're going to meet God first in the morning, and then secondly, we're going to meet God first, and then we're going to get one person, somebody in our sphere of influence that's going to hold us accountable to that. Imagine what would take place. We would recognize that our position allows God to show us who's in control. And then secondly, our posture, our activities, our attitudes will show who we think is in control. The third thing is your pursuits reveal what matters most. Your pursuits reveal what matters most. The jailer is right now about to kill himself. Verse 28, but Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. Remember, this is in the dark, deepest portion of the, of the jail. There is no light. What happens? Verse 29, and the jailer called for lights and he rushed in. All he had heard was the rustling of the doors being opened and the chains falling off. That only meant one thing. These prisoners were out the door. Paul cried and said, we're still here. So the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. 
Do you see when you are facing your fears and you recognize that you're not in control and you change your posture, then what takes place is you recognize I must have something that they have. And he brought them out. He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said these words, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Paul Look what Paul and Silas did. He cared less about his freedom and more for the people, lost people, people that did not have the hope that he had, the ones who were watching him sing, not the ones who were singing. He wasn't scrambling out of the jail in that earth, first moment of that earthquake. He was fixated on the freedom of that jailer, the spiritual freedom of that jailer. Do you care about people like that? Do I? Will you ask even this morning for God to give you a heart for people just like he gave Paul in this moment? Yesterday, Steve uh, said it better than I. Hundreds of people from our church invested in people's lives in our community. And you show the love of Jesus in a practical way. And, and it doesn't just stop there. In two weeks from now, we have another opportunity. You see, David Pollock, we, we've been talking about it. And, and I want you to get so tired of hearing about it, you say, well, I'm just going to bring somebody. David Pollock is going to come. And he, he's a former UGA player. He's an All-American. He was all that. He was a former NFL player. He was, a, he was all that in a bag of chips. ESPN sportscaster, but it's not about David Pollock. We are simply saying we're going to have a normal worship service at a normal time. We're making it easy in a way where Doc and David will be on this stage together and they'll be talking about different things. The moment in David's NFL career when his, he, he broke his neck. It was that moment, that midnight hour when everything he had worked for came crashing down. And he had to ask the question, what am I on this earth for? Will you commit even in these moments, will you commit to bringing someone? In fact, right now, we've asked the question of who's your one. If you have your worship little card, would you pull that out right now? In fact, we, we've put a little sticker here and you may say, hey, what, what is this stuck on my worship card? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab your worship card if you have one. And I want you to take a pen. Maybe there's one in the seat back in front of you. Take a pen and write your one. Just the first name of your one on there. I've already done it this morning. I put my one here. And I want you just to write on that little circle. If you can see, this is a circle that you can peel off. Okay, you can peel it off in just a moment. But I want you to write your one there. Write your first name. What we want you to do is not only talk about who's your one, who are you praying for, but we want you to invite them and bring them on August the 11th. Have you done that this morning? In fact, let's just take a moment right now and just simply to pray for that individual. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes real quick. Would you pray right now for that name that's on your card specifically? Would you pray specifically for you to be bold to invite them? Would you pray specifically right now that they would come? Then would you pray for that individual right now that they would be 
miraculously and gloriously saved. Father, you know these names on our little circle, our little dot. They have names and faces and eternal destinies, and I pray that they have households that likewise would, just like this Philippian jailer, come to faith in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Our desire is that name on that little card right there, that name that they will ask the same question that this Philippian jailer, that he asked this question, what must I do to be saved? I see all these things taking place. What must I do to be saved? This jailer, remember, he is the one that heard the stories of the this little slave girl who was eternally changed. She just didn't have the, the demon taken out of her. She was radically saved and followed Christ. If you look at this, he had heard the reputation of these men who were doing all these things to disrupt the city. The jailer may have even beaten Paul and Silas. He put their, most assuredly put their feet in chains. He locked them into the deep part of the prison. He fed them, perhaps even sparingly. And yet this jailer saw their attitudes. He heard them sing, singing and he saw them praying. These were certainly not ordinary men. And now here they are in the dark. The doors are being opened by this significant earthquake. And he asked, what must I do to be saved? Verse 31, believe on the Lord Jesus, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul will say later in a little bit about what this belief is. This simply says, believe in the Lord Jesus. What do you believe? Paul comes back and says that Jesus Christ died. He was buried. He rose from the dead and he appeared and was fully alive as he was seen by multitudes, that he was the son of God, the one who comes and takes away the sins of the world. This is the belief that you shall have. Your pursuits reveal what matters most. Paul wasn't leaving that prison alone. He was taking the jailer with him. And I encourage you, don't come on August the 11th alone. If at all possible, would you bring someone that you may introduce them to the saving Jesus? Your present does not define your future. And I would even encourage you, don't allow... CP serves day or August the 11th to be the culmination of when you are going to live sent. That is going to be a continuous attitude because your position allows God to show you who is in control. Your posture shows who you think is in control and your pursuits reveal what matters most. And the last thing is this. Your praise reveals who gets the glory. Your praise reveals who gets the glory. Verse 32. And when the word of the Lord, to, when, the, when they spoke the word of the Lord to him, to the jailer, and to all of those who were in his house. And he, the jailer, took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. This was a glorious salvation that had come to this man's house, but not only to him, but to this jailer and his family. Notice the reaction. It is evidence of true repentance. He was changed. He, was wa he began to wash their wounds, some of which he may have actually been responsible for. This is a picture of service. Gently and tenderly, he began to wash these wounds. He was baptized. We, we get this idea that he was probably, it was a public profession, probably in the courtyard of that very prison. 
He didn't go far. He wasn't worried about what people were thinking. He was gloriously saved and just met Jesus. Then he took them to his house, an idea of hospitality, and he fed them from his own table with his own food. And he rejoiced. We rejoiced with his entire family. What did he rejoice over? That he had believed in God. Not he had believed in Paul, not that he had believed in Paul's miraculous power to heal, not in his ability to save himself, but in God himself. That's what he rejoiced over. I began this morning talking about El Chapo, the convicted drug lord, who was locked in the most secure prison in the world. I would say to you, if you are an unbeliever this morning and you walked in, you also are locked in bondage. The Bible says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of that sin is death. Imagine if you and I were to meet El Chapo today. He's locked away far from freedom. What what if he were to ask you and I, what must I do to be saved? We can, in the simplest form, respond as Paul did, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And just like the jailer, when you meet Jesus, everything changes. We say this week in and week out, but God is perfect and we are not. And because of sin in our lives, we cannot be in the presence of a holy God. And it is at that moment that we realize that we have a problem. And God recognized that problem. He loves you so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to provide a way between the two. To allow us to go from our sinful state to a righteous and holy God. And it's in that moment that Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. He came and died a cruel death and he gave us his righteousness. He became a perfect substitute. He took our sins upon himself and he took them to a cross. He died for you and for me. And that is what our belief is to rest in. Not in this world because this world is cruel to all of us. If you're a believer this morning, I'm going to ask you the question. Do you trust God completely where you are right now? Anyone can sing when the sun is shining and freedom abounds. I have prayed over two two gentlemen in our church that are going through some difficulty. I have prayed more in the last week for these two men been a very long time for any individuals just because this is the midnight hour, it seems like. But I'm praying that the Lord Jesus will wash over them and give them what they need to rejoice and to pray and to sing in these moments. Believer, this may be an opportunity for you to say, these doors that are opening, these are not wasted. This is an opportunity for me to run into someone, a neighbor, a coworker, a friend, and say, now is not the time to fall on your sword. Now is the time for you to set your eyes on Jesus and believe. Perhaps unbeliever this morning, you walked in and you said, hey, listen, I'm good. 
I'm on outside of the jail. I perceive myself to be one that I'm all good. Things are going good. The stock market's at an all-time high. I've got a job. Everybody in my family is healthy and happy. We're good. But this morning, you realize you don't know Jesus. I ask you the question, will you believe on the Lord Jesus and be saved this morning? Would you close your eyes all across the room? If you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask you in the simplest form, will you believe right now? Will you ask the Lord Jesus to come into your heart and to your life right now? Just admit, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I don't have things all figured out and there is no way that I can save myself. And right now in the quietness of your, your heart, just simply say, Lord, forgive me. Come into my heart, save me from my sins. Give me eternal life. The Bible says that if you do that, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Father, in these moments, would you just simply allow us to see your hand at work even as that Philippian jailer and Paul and Silas did? Would you allow this church to be one that we seek you first in all things and in all ways, and then we rally people beside us to hold us accountable as this young girl encouraged me this week? Would you allow this church to be radically different from everybody else in this community? That they would say, that church, there's something different about those people. And Father, may we praise your name and may we point others to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now listen, as we come to a close, I believe that Riley's going to come in just a moment. But I want you simply to take this uh, card. Riley's going to give you information. Take that little dot a little sticker. And right outside, right where I'll be standing, you come out there and you just place your name right there. Your little name, your, there's a little a kind of a fans, a, kind of some stands there. Place it there as a symbol of your praying. And we're going to have folks over the next couple of weeks. Come on, Riley. You come on, uh, you, you, that you, we're going to have people praying for that individual. And let me say this as, as I close. Hey, listen, I love this church more and more as I see you pouring into the Bible and serving your community. And it's a joy and a pleasure for me to be able to open the Bible with you these last couple weeks. And I am really excited. The pastor's coming back next week. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, y'all.